about to hear my conversation with our chief fixed income strategist, Dustin Reed. We talk all about the recent Bank of Canada decision to hold interest rates steady. We also talk about the Federal Reserve and what has changed in the prospective interest rate outlook in the U.S., including uh, talking about some trades and currencies. This podcast is for informational purposes only. Information relating to investment approaches or individual investments should not be construed as advice or endorsement. Listeners should seek professional advice for their situation. Welcome to the McKenzie Investments Podcast. My name is Matthew Schnur, and I'm delighted to be back with our chief fixed income strategist, Dustin Reed. Dustin, welcome back. Thanks very much for having me back, Matt. Uh, the timing uh, for your uh, appearance here is great. Uh, just yesterday, the Bank of Canada had their most recent uh, meeting. Uh, as uh, was widely anticipated, they didn't move the overall uh, interest rate. Uh, curious, Dustin, uh, if any of the comments uh, or anything that you've heard uh, from that Bank of Canada meeting uh, has changed your perspective or, or what you found interesting. Yeah, for sure. So, uh, absolutely. And Canada came out uh, yesterday with its uh, scheduled meeting, recording this on Thursday. And uh, so this was a, a non-forecast meeting for the bank. Um, the last meeting before that, the January meeting, end of January, what was a forecast meeting. So this is a non-forecast meeting. So we did not have updates on the economic outlook per se uh, or uh, a, a live press conference same day. Um, so I think... You know, coming out of the January meeting, just to look back very quickly, what we took away from the time, and obviously a lot of people did, was that the bank was probably going to be on hold unless things materially changed in either direction, to be fair. But I think people were most looking towards a increase in the rate hike cycle, obviously, given the last year and change. Sure. And the, the language that we use coming out on the on the team, uh, and I was saying kind of right right in the aftermath of the January meeting was, I think the bank wants to be done. Uh, the operative word being wants. Um, and I think that that's really been the MO here for the, the bank since the end of January. So coming into, and we've had Macklem, I should say a couple of times between January and yesterday, whether it's parliamentary committee stuff or other speeches, essentially give the, a strong hint that they, they want to be done. So yesterday, uh, we got uh, a statement from the bank. That I thought that was really interesting. It had a little bit for everybody, to be fair. Uh, yeah. In some ways, it said that things are evolving as expected. In some ways, it suggested that things might be a little bit hotter than it anticipated, hmm. um, which I thought was interesting. It also, the bank, as many people know, one of the big drivers or inputs into the model as how the bank looks at things and the policy reaction function is um, capacity utilization. You know, is the economy running above capacity or they would maybe say excess capacity, you know, at equilibrium or in line or obviously below capacity. And they had the excess demand comment in the January statement, which they, they essentially took out at, uh, at yesterday's statement. And that's always a really interesting sign when the bank is not necessarily expecting the economy to run in excess capacity or, or have excess demand. So I think there's some people that are thinking that the bank is still going to be done and is hoping right. that's going to be done. But clearly, uh, we've had a, a, a pretty good run here on the domestic side in terms of the data, uh, particularly on the, in the labor market, right? 
Um, and the inflation numbers are still pretty sticky. I would actually argue somewhat structural, but at a minimum, pretty sticky yeah. uh, on, on core as well. And so there are, there are some that would suggest that the uh, evolution of the economic scene in Canada, the macro scene in Canada is not as, uh, is probably more constructive, I guess, better way to say it than maybe the January 27th uh, forecast round at the, at the MPR. And that is the big caveat because the bank essentially said we're done or we want to be done um, at four and a half percent, unless things evolve probably to the upside. Um, than we think. And what, I'll, another thing that was interesting in the statement yesterday was the bank talked about uh, the Q4, which sounds like ancient history at this point, but the Q4 GDP numbers uh, for for the country, which were obviously a very big part of uh, the expectations from the from the January meeting. What was interesting, and it's a bit minutiae, but the bank basically got into a lot of detail for a, for a um, at least for me for for a formal statement and kind of dismissing that the numbers were lower. The headline number in Q4 was lower for growth, but that was really due to inventories and named three or four other things as to why it's actually looking better than the than than the um, than the headline suggested. And that to me was a bit odd because I didn't think the bank would need to get into that sort of granular specificity for one print. And I don't know, maybe I'm reading a little too much in between the lines, but that would be a little bit more on the hawkish side as to, oh, the bank is maybe saying a little bit in terms of things are maybe progressing a little bit more uh, constructively, a little bit hotter, so to speak, than it was expecting at the at the January meeting. So like I was saying a minute ago, there's, there's a little bit for everybody and a lot of people on the street uh, domestically you know, around around the country are, are looking at it different ways. Um, I've seen commentary on both sides, which is which is interesting. Our view was that um, coming out of the the January meeting, that March would likely be a pause, uh, which it right. was obviously, but do not close the door on April. And I still think that is serving us well. I think the okay. data obviously counts here. We've moved to much more of a data week by week, data by data uh, driven market. Um, and I think that that is you know the the right way to play it. So not only the domestic data here, but obviously the U.S. counts too, the Fed counts too, the global data counts, obviously as well. So it's all everything in, as I say, some totality of of how things will look. And I, I would not close the door on on another April, or sorry, on an April hike or another hike in April. Mm-hmm. Um, and the market just looking coming into our our chat here now. The market's at about eight basis points for April. So if you assume a 25 basis point hike, which I think is reasonable, I don't think it would be anything else if it was a hike. Right. Um, you're basically one third probability, give or take, of, of a 25 basis point hike in April. And in my opinion, I think that's, a given where we sit here, knowing what we know now, today, I think that's appropriate. I think the market is priced appropriately. I don't think there's a lot of... A lot of give on either side there. I mean, clearly the data could continue to rip here domestically and and particularly in the U.S. and that could drag uh, expectations higher. Uh, but you know, again, as we sit here now, I I think that that's I think that's very appropriate uh, market pricing. If it was fifty uh, percent or sixty percent, I would say at least now it's way overcooked. Also, if it right. was kind of zero or two, uh, sorry, uh, fifty or sixty base. Uh, 50 or 60%, yeah, that would be overdone. Or if it was kind of 0% or 5%, I think that would also be kind of underdone. So I think that right. I think that makes I think that makes sense. So yeah, so that's kind of the takeaway from 
from the bank. I also, there's a little bit of talk, okay, if they come back and do 25 in April, can, can they only do 25 and then be done? Or once they kind of come back, do they have to kind of come back again and do more than one? Which I think is a very fair, a very fair question. Um, my view is that I think the bank thinks that if they come back and tweak, that it really is just that, a tweak. And you know, they've done a lot uh, since, uh, I think they've done a hike, except, except for yesterday at, at the last, the previous eight meetings. Right. So I think the bank would view if they came back in April as an extension of the current hike and not necessarily coming back and starting all over again. And I, so I'm not overly concerned about the idea of they can come back for one more 25 and then leave it and obviously see how things evolve. Um, but yeah, that's kind of the the outlook and and kind of the view from at least fixed income fixed income macro on how you know we're looking at uh, at the bank um, for the March round. That's great. Um, maybe just one follow up on Bank of Canada uh, before we uh, head uh, south and talk about the Fed, which I think is uh, sure. we need to leave a fair amount of time for. Yeah, um, but uh, does anything uh, recently or, or from what you heard from the, the bank uh, yesterday impact either um, how long you expect interest rates to be at their, their terminal rate, whether it be uh, uh, four and a half or 475? Right. That's a great question. I think um, so. We've seen a lot get priced out of what was, you know, first was 2023, and then it was kind of the back half of 2023, and now it's the back third of 2023 with the peak right. with the peak in rates. Um, but the last time I checked, only around depending how you depending how you calculate it, but basically going from the peak in the OIS to the end of the year, it was around three or four basis points worth of easing. Um, from the market towards the, the Bank of Canada, so that's that's a much smaller number than uh, in the in the thirty or forty or fifty basis point neighborhood of easing where the market was expecting the bank, you know, only a quarter or two ago. And you're seeing that mirrored a, a, across the border as well. Um, right. You know, in the U.S., a loss in price out there. We could talk about that in a sec if you want. Um, so I think that just starting with market perspective, I think that's more appropriate given structural nature of inflation and obviously how hot generally how hot the output data is is running uh you know and obviously we're seeing that on the labor side and, and to a to a decent extent on the wages side domestically here uh so i i do expect that the bank will be on hold at that terminal rate for the balance of the year you know i've always kept this idea at least for the for the us of a, a 25 basis point easing in December. And that is obviously changing a little bit given the last four or five weeks since we've, since we've discussed. But I think that um, what, what's likely is, you know, maybe it's nothing, maybe it's 25 for the bank this right. year. And it's very, very late. It's probably the December meeting, but every, I mean, time helps too, just from, from an accounting perspective. But, you know, as sure. we get later into the year, it's a little more, it's obviously easier to make, probably easier to make a little bit, harder forecast or more, more, you can solidify your forecast a little bit more just with time, time elapsing. So I think that we're probably at terminal for at least into Q3, uh, sorry, through, through Q3 and into Q4. And, uh, you know, I haven't necessarily penciled in, like taken out the 25 from the bank in terms of easing for Q4, but, uh, I think the next, you know, the next month or two, particularly how things develop on the domestic side and, and in the U.S. side, I think will really 
finalize the profile for the sovereign, you know, uh, uh, sorry, the the policy curves for the duration of the year and into and probably into Q124. That's great. Um, you referenced the Fed a little bit uh, during that response. Let's dive uh, right into uh, uh, the Fed and, and uh, overall uh, economic conditions uh, in the U.S. Sure. Uh, you know, we had you on five weeks ago. A lot has changed since then. There's been yeah. some pretty meaningful uh, yeah. moves uh, um, all over the curve as well. Yeah. Uh, maybe I'll just uh, uh, let you uh, guide us to what you think is interesting and frame out what's going on in the U.S. <laughs> and, and how should we be thinking about this? Yeah, for sure. So, yeah, it's been it's been very busy on the fixed income uh, with interest sure. income, even FICC fixed income uh, currencies, you know, credit uh, and uh, and commodities. But uh, you know, particularly for this this podcast on the fixed income side, uh, yeah, it, I mean, obviously, it's been a massive repricing of uh, many curves, right? Not just the U.S. and Canadian curves, right. but many curves, and not just the policy curve, but obviously the so- sovereign curves. Um, you know, quite a bit higher and uh, and quite a bit more inverted, um, depending on right. how you look at it. But kind of the main metrics, twos, tens, or fives, thirties, uh, have been obviously inverting further. We had fresh cycle lows in U.S. twos, tens this week. I think the close uh, yesterday was uh, minus 107 or 108, minus 108 basis points. So that's been that's been obviously very significant. Yeah. So that's a, that's a lot of that's a big question, a lot of area to cover. Let me let me just kind of start with the Fed view because I think that's always a good place to start, and we can kind of sure. take it from there, and we can ask ask different questions. But so, you know, I, I would say, uh, in, in the fall, uh, we were in early November, maybe the second week of November, we moved to. Uh, Fed funds forecast for the team of five to five and a quarter. And as I'm sure most people know, the Fed targets a range as opposed to a point. Uh, you know, so the bank here, Bank Canada targets a point, which is, you know, four and a half. But the, the Fed is, um, the Fed targets a range five to five and a half. Sorry, five to five and a quarter. So that's not, it's not me taking uh, liberty. It's actually the actual <laughs> forecast. So we moved to five to five and a quarter in early November. Uh, that's when the market was really trading around 480, 490, give or take, right. um, in terms of the expectations. So we were well above the market and kind of along the themes that you and I have talked about many, many times, right? S- sticky inflation, higher for longer, like all, all that stuff. And the market uh, clearly uh, started to move in early this year, and I would say particularly right around the time of our last our last call, um, and and has and has surpassed us, uh, and is now pricing in a terminal rate of probably north of five and a half, maybe maybe five fifty five, uh, and it obviously it's a traded market and it bounces around. So a couple of weeks ago, um, probably by the time this comes out, but a couple of weeks ago when the, when the US PCE numbers came out, which is obviously what the Fed looks at technically technically for inflation uh, for its its outlook as opposed to CPI, uh, we had a very hot. Uh, January print that printed in February for core PCE. And that was enough for me to say, okay, I need to adjust this view here. Uh, that's obviously on the back of, again, strong CPI number. And of course, that very, very strong payroll print that right. came out early February, that was was January data at over 500,000. I think it was 517, 517. So uh, we, upped, we tweaked our, our view from five to 
uh, five, five and a quarter to five and a quarter, five and a half. And obviously the market was already there. So it's, it's still a little different for us. Market's been chasing us for the better part of two years. And now I wouldn't say we're right. chasing the market, but we're just maybe a little bit more cautious. Um, there's a huge amount of momentum, I think, in people getting short uh, the curve, so prices lower, yields higher, and uh, and people pricing in you know a pol- potentially a, a big policy move by the Fed, and that that very well may happen. And as I'm sure many people know, I for the better part of uh, at least two years, you know, almost the first person in line to put my hand up and say, I, I think you know, I think this is going to be pretty hawkish. I think this is going to kind of run for a bit. Um, it doesn't necessarily mean that we're not going to, we're not going to get there, but I think at least from what I'm picking up, people I'm speaking with, I think the fed is, uh, potentially going to be a little bit, a little bit cautious here and not necessarily go totally crazy. I I could be, I could be wrong. Uh, but I, I'm, I'm not, I'm not picking that up quite yet, but, uh, clearly, you know, the fall forecast for fed funds, five to five and a quarter had upside risk. You know, I, I would say i taken that option and moved it higher. And I would sure. say our current forecast of five and a quarter, five and a half still has upside risk. And I, I very well may take that, take that, uh, take that option again. The street is clearly there. Um, and you know, the, either when you, when I say the street, you can either say the traded market or, you know, people at, at various, at various brokers, banks that, that are, that are calling the fed as well. It's, it's at least there. A lot of people are in that five and a half, five, three quarters camp. So I think that's pretty, that's kind of where where the you know the, that is. I would say, um, you know, we have a Fed meeting coming up on the twenty second of this month, and right. we've just had Powell this week at what was formerly known as the Humphrey Hawkins uh, semiannual testimony, where he does two days in front of Congress twice a year, one day in front of the House, one day in front of the Senate, and those that was Tuesday, Wednesday this week, and the Tuesday stuff was interesting. Uh, I mean, it's always interesting, but this Tuesday was really interesting. He opened somewhat surprisingly, I would say also to myself, he somewhat surprisingly opened the door to hiking potentially by 50 basis points at the March meeting. And that's when the market was maybe pricing 28 or 29 basis points going into that that speech. So that's a big that's a big difference. The market was not prepped for that. A lot of people were not prepped for that. And I think it was a little a little surprising because I don't think the Fed really has any good insight as to how payrolls and CPI will print for the next data round, and so making that statement um, in in the do, in the in the prepared remarks, it wasn't even during Q and A where you could argue, oh, okay, oh, really? it was a bit more off the cuff. These are prepared remarks that are meticulously gone over, and every word counts. So to throw it in there, I think was pretty interesting. So the market got pretty hawked up on that. No surprise, and we got to well above forty basis points pricing for the market meeting from high twenties before that. So that's a that's a big move. Um, uh, and on the Wednesday, the day after, he somewhat walked it back a bit, as I kind of thought he might, because I I don't think he really wanted to shock the market that much. Um, so he walked it back a bit, essentially saying, "Well, we haven't made any decisions yet for the 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 March meeting," which I think is accurate. The forecasts are not in. The sure. vote clearly has not happened. The meeting has not happened, and we have to get through two or three major data points, particularly payrolls and CPI, before the meeting to really kind of know what's what before before doing it. So I'm still at 25 for the March meeting. Um, clearly, there is some some smoke, uh, you know, there that could could be 50. 
we'll see how the data comes out. I mean, again, I will keep going back to it's very data dependent, which is not necessarily a cop out. It's more of a, I think that's really, we're just calling the ball in the air here. And it's a little bit more right now, two hands on the wheel, data dependent. We're going to kind of see how things go for the next little bit. And then we'll be able to kind of lengthen things out from a views perspective, I think more towards what I would call kind of longer, short term or even medium term constructiveness and, uh, you know, and, and confidence. But uh, it, it really is very, it really is very much, you know, um, one by one where I do think um, even before Powell spoke on Tuesday at the semi-annual testimony, we were as a team leaning towards, uh, I'll try and get the, my words correct here, a 50 basis point increase in the dots. So a 50 basis point increase in the median dot for 2023. So we okay. thought that was going to move up. So recall in December, the last forecast round, uh, and March's forecast round, obviously for the Fed, uh, the December forecast round had five to five and a quarter for the median dot for 23. So I, I've been thinking, I would say that the team is coming to that view of the idea that we're going to see that dot move higher for 23 median dot to five and a half, five and three quarters. Um, so that would, I guess, be a little bit below my my forecast here. But I want to see the data. I want to see the data come together. I think it's pretty easy to get to uh, five and a quarter, five and a half in the median dot, which would be one, which would be a 25 basis point increase in the dots. I think right. you, from a from a math perspective, you only needed three people to come up. So I think the bar there, given the you know, obviously the very hot data we've had out of the U.S. I, I think it's I think it's very likely. So I think the question is going to be: Is it going to be a, a 25 increase there, or 50 in the dots? In the dots, I also think we're going to see some get taken out of 2024. I think we'll see at least 25, if not 50 basis points of easing getting taken out of the Fed's dot forecast for 2024 when we have the meeting here in March, which again is a forecast meeting. So yeah, so that's kind of the Fed view and and uh, and preview. I think. Um, I think it's very much up in the air. I think it's really, I think it's very tough to call here. I think there are a lot of different opinions at the Fed, inside the Fed. It's going to be a very, a very robust uh, discussion. Um, a lot of it will hinge on payrolls and CPI. And clearly, if it's hot, if they are hot, then 50 from a uh, Fed funds hiking perspective will be on the table. And 50 in terms of the dots, I think will look a lot more solidified. If it doesn't, right. you know, if those two releases don't quite make it there, then I think market pricing will come back and, and the Fed will have the opportunity to own, quote unquote, only do 25 uh, from at least from a hiking perspective. But I think it, w- it is very dangerous to effectively have said, uh, you know, we're gearing down from 75s to 50s to 25 and then gearing up again. Uh, that 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 is going to put a lot of two-way risk in the market. And again, is really around the idea of, okay, this is very much a week-to-week data, you know, event risk to event risk market. And, you know, I, I would say our trading on the team is really reflecting that in terms of our, our tactical alpha trading um, and active management of, uh, of trading, uh, you know, the curves and, uh, and, and FX. Perfect. Uh, maybe we'll talk a little bit about FX uh, and then into some of the trades that uh, that you were just referring to. Sure. Um, I uh, will also get you back after the Fed, uh, the next Fed meeting, to make sure that we get a, sort of a full accounting of that because it sounds okay. like 
uh, a lot uh, of uh, of things at work uh, yeah. that's going into that Fed meeting and, and maybe Definitely. some clarity happens on the, yep. the backside of it. Um, so uh, talking about currency, mm-hmm. um, I, I I think of uh, CAD versus U.S. as uh, one of the major uh, impacts here, uh, based sure. on your comments with the Bank of Canada, yep. uh, unlikely to keep up with the Fed, the Fed to, to continue to hike. What's your view on on CAD versus uh, USD? And then maybe some comments on USD as a whole, given the strength that it exhibited uh, throughout uh, last year, at least. Yeah, absolutely. So... Yeah, currencies are always a really interesting game. I, I kind of came up through the business very much on on the FX side, and uh, so it's an asset class I hold dear. Um, hmm. And dollar CAD's always really tricky. Uh, probably probably the most probably the most tricky in the G10 space to call um, for a few reasons. Um, my my framework for dollar Canada is generally re- relatively simple. Um, Whatever your view is on risk, whatever your view is on global risk sentiment or risk appetite or however you want to define that, is probably how you should be long or short Canadian dollars. So if you're long, if you're okay. long risk, then you should probably be long Canadian dollars. If you're short risk, then you should be short. And if you're neutral, then you should probably be neutral. And the correlations would generally suggest that that's not a bad way to go. Obviously, there's a lot more to it than that. You know, there's the rate sure. side, rate differential side. Um, there's the oil side, which some people like to focus on. And sometimes that's a bit more of a driver in short term for dollar CAD. We found that when, when things are extreme, when oil is really, really expensive or really, really cheap or inexpensive, then it has a bit more correlation with CAD short term. But when you're kind of in this 60 to 90 neighborhood, maybe 60 to 80 neighborhood to be fair, um, probably not, probably not as big a driver. Um, so that's kind of the, the rough, I mean, that's a, a exceptionally simple, simplistic rough framework, but, um, and we trade, we trade dollar Canada relatively actively within the portfolio as I'm sure most, most of our clients and investors know. And, but we trade all, we trade all currencies in the portfolio. We are a global mandate. Uh, we trade, we trade all currencies. We're active in Euro, Yen, um, in particular, um, we've traded, you know, we trade, uh, Asian currencies, um, we trade, uh, Eastern European currencies. Um, we trade a lot of EM currencies, like Brazil, Max, um, Colombia, Chile. Uh, so yeah, so we're kind of uh, we're we're everywhere. And but obviously, dollar CAD to to what you said is very much, you know, very much uh, at home. We're sitting in Canada, it's Canada, sure. it's Canada book. Uh, but we have a lot of U.S. dollar exposures, particularly through our credit side, right? And a lot of a lot of issuers issue in U.S. dollars. So we have natural flow into U.S. dollars for the you know, from the portfolio, particularly on on the credit side. So we manage that via kind of hedge ratios and uh, dial it up or dial it down depending on our view on on dollar CAD. We don't take massive massive bets on on dollar CAD throughout the portfolio, but we, when we feel we have a, a strong view and we have an edge, uh, we'll dial it up or we'll dial it down uh, to try and get every every last basis point that we think we can we think we can get. So on dollar CAD, we've had a pretty good run here. I would say from kind of 130. We look at it market convention wise. So 134 sure. um, through 138, traded above 138 this week, and we've been long, long dollars versus Canadian dollars. So long USD, short CAD, right. uh, and we've done that not through options, which we often do, but uh, this round we've done it through um, just regular spot and forwards. So we would say we've, as we would say, we've opened up our hedge ratio, uh, which doesn't mean the same thing to everybody. For us, that means more long dollar uh, CAD exposure. Um, and so we're probably, depending on the portfolio and the amount of US dollar impact, particularly from a credit perspective, we're anywhere from, I don't know, 
two two to three percentage points above neutral to maybe high single digits above neutral, depending on the portfolio. Okay. Uh, sometimes sometimes our you know, higher our high yield or um, our floating rate might be a little bit higher than say our core or core plus. Sure. Um, in terms of having having the exposure for obvious reasons, so that's been a good run for us. We've kind of we've been on the the right side of it, so to speak, over the last three or four figures in dollar CAD from one thirty four in the round one thirty five to to one thirty eight. A lot of people were looking at uh, one thirty eight as kind of an area to take profit. And just speaking with a number of of the Canadian banks actually today and yesterday, seeing a lot of people take some risk off the table here at at, at around one thirty eight or when it popped above one thirty eight. So, I mean, I think a lot of it depends on what you think. Again, going back to the framework, what do you what do you think about risk? And um, you know, I think risk is tricky here. I mean, a lot, again, a lot of it. Not to repeat myself, a lot of it is very data dependent, right? And I think if the Fed gets very very hawkish based on some data, and they they do hike by fifty, which at this point, sitting here right now today, I don't expect. Uh, and it's for whatever whatever the construct is, it's a very hawkish meeting by the by the by the Fed. You know, I think risk, however you want to define that, uh, is is at risk, so to speak. I, I would be concerned about global risk sentiment because I think in this market, my concern is that the market would then maybe try and outhawk the Fed and leapfrog the Fed, and if that happens, then you're just from right. an accounting perspective, you're at you're at six, you're at six percent right. Fed funds, and so I see this. I keep having these visions of six percent Fed funds plastered all over every newspaper. Sure. Every news, every newscast, right? Uh, wire, uh, blog. I mean, it's going to be everywhere. And it's not, you know, it's not a year and a half ago or a year ago where okay, there's a few people talking about six. It's oh wow, six is for real. Six is really right. for real here. And what does that do to the retail investor? You know, does that really concern the retail investor? And frankly, you know, what does it do to the institutional investor too, from a valuation perspective, right? So that. You know all that, so I'm I'm crossing a lot of different themes here because everything's interrelated. But if that scenario were to happen, I would be I would want to be long USD, right? And I would want to be short dollars. Uh, sorry, I would want to be short Canadian dollars on the idea of the general correlation on on risk, right? So again, if you have that view, then so I'm not quite there yet on that whole uh, that whole sequence. But I think that sequence is growing in terms of its probability, uh, in right. terms of uh, you know, and expected value. So that's something I worry about. So some people, not all, but some people that we're talking about, okay, let's take a little profit at 138 if we get there, are now thinking, well, eh, things have changed, things have evolved. Maybe I'm not actually ready to take profit here. I think this could run. Maybe we actually will see 140. So I think it's at a very, you know, just the timing of our chat here today is at a really tenuous spot, you know, ahead of right. ahead of payrolls and the Fed meeting and risk and and that sort of thing. I am generally I'm generally leading in that direction. So weaker Canadian dollar, longer dollar. Um, because I think the Fed's got a fair bit to go. But at the same time, a lot has also been priced in. So it's very it's very tenuous. From from our portfolio management perspective, I, I would say we're we're actively managing that particular uh, silo within our within our portfolio, um, and you know we could add, we could take away in the next you know in the next little bit. It really just depends on how on how the data goes. To, to the second part of your question, just broad dollars, I, I would probably echo a little bit what I just said. Again, on on it's kind of the flip on on the risk scenario, right? And not that risk is the only driver for U.S. dollars. It's certainly not, um, but 
generally speaking, if uh, depending on what part of the cycle in, but generally speaking, if you are you know actively selling risk, USD is probably bid, probably. And if you are adding risk, then you're probably uh, shedding US dollar exposure, less than right. US dollar exposure. And uh, you know, you, you would play that often maybe against CAD the other way or emerging markets um, and that sort of thing. So I think, again, a lot of it depends on on the risk case scenario. A few other things that people like to throw in there on the dollar side, they're always interesting to talk about. And I'm, I'm definitely not, uh, you know, shunning them. But I think from in this market, that's very short term. I'm not worried about them as a key driver. So like the debt, the debt ceiling issue. You know, is this a big deal for uh, the dollar? I, I would say not not now, not yet. Um uh, the fiscal story is that a big deal for the dollar? I, I would say, you know, it's important. I wouldn't totally dismiss it, but I'm not. It's not a big driver at the moment. Is I sit here and look at key drivers for markets across asset classes, and of course, there's always the old, never to be forgotten, the quantitative tightening story uh, that sure. the Fed, of course, is still doing. You know, is that a big driver for the Fed? I think it. Ha- I think it matters on the margin. But I don't think it's a day-to-day, week-to-week active uh, active driver. I mean, I think these things are important and shouldn't be forgotten and kind of keep an eye on it, obviously, more than keep an eye on it um, in the background. But I mean, we can have major, major moves here in FX, both dollar, dollar CAD, you know, other other pairs, other crosses, um, you know, on, on one data point. That'll be, you know, two or three percentage points maybe in a day. And, uh, you know, I'm focused on that and trying to make sure that we – manage our risk accordingly, um, you know, across asset classes, but in particular for this, this conversation question, um, you know, on the FX side. So that, that's kind of how, that's kind of how I look at it. And again, kind of harking back to where I was a few minutes ago, when things start becoming a little bit less two hands on the wheel, week to week event, event, you can kind of lengthen things out and be a little bit more, what I would call long, shorter term or medium term uh, in terms of in terms of views, and we would put on maybe if we saw a, if we had a, a strong view and a big mismatch and vols were relatively uh, less expensive, we would look at maybe putting on some longer term, which we would view maybe as six or nine months uh, nine month hedges on, uh, on you know on a few things. Right, um, but as we stand now, it's just your two hands on the wheel. So short it time. is, yeah, it yeah, is very okay. much that, yeah. Um, and maybe with uh, with just a minute or two, um, some other uh, trades that you're seeing in the portfolio inside of the currency. Sure. Yeah, for sure. So obviously the the FX one would be one I would talk about. So I think we've covered that pretty pretty in depth. Um, another trade that we have on and continue to like is the Bank of Japan trade, or essentially the the, the JGB trade, Japanese government bond trade. You know, which I know we talk about a lot, and you know, yeah. as I usually say, it's it's there and it's ready to go and it's grinding in the background and that's exactly how it should be. We have uh, a new governor presumably coming in after he uh, and deputy governors getting uh, getting approved by the lower and upper house in Japan in the next couple of days and that that should uh, usher in the next era for the BOJ. We, we do expect yield curve control to be tweaked at some point this year, if not tweaked more than once. I think right. we'll see 100 basis points in terms of the cap or even a soft a soft uh, range, which may even let uh, the the market trade above 100 at some mm-hmm. point. And I wow. do think that the BOJ will move out of its zero negative interest rate policy. Bank, the rates in Japan are still negative. They're minus 10 basis points. I think right. those will disappear at some point this year with probably a 10 basis point move to start to get to zero and then maybe go above above zero at some point. So we have that trade on. It's been We've had it on for almost a year, frankly, uh, since I think April last year. And been in and out in terms of um, adjusting our size and, and and risk and risk weighting it, so to speak. Um, 
but we still have it on in size and um, it's a trade I like uh, a lot. And uh, you know, December obviously with the, uh, the 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 yield curve control move was a great a great trade for our portfolio. We made uh, right. you know we did we did quite well and made made significant money for our investors, which was which is wonderful. Um, the, another trade we've been in and out of, which I think is probably the the, the breadbasket trade, really of what we do, is obviously you know duration. And you know, at the end of the day, we're going to make or break on you know our year and our, our our overall performance, you know, on a multi-year basis on the duration call. And you know, we spent a lot of time in late November and December looking at and talking around uh, you know 2023 and the steepener trade. And we sure. had a lot of talks about it internally and externally, and the, and a lot of multi-strats and. Uh, macro funds in the you know in the U.S. and globally were getting into the steepener trade. You know now obviously it looks early, very early, uh, and probably got a bit chopped up on that. We we opted to not do that sort of. We, so we we opted to not do it, particularly in the U.S. But what we did center on was, you know, kind of almost a heads I win, tails you lose. Almost in any scenario that we looked at. I mean, obviously we could be wrong, but we really had a strong view that the back end of the U.S. curve was going to move higher, almost on almost any pathway. And Got so, it. instead of putting on a steepener trade, we just said we just want to be short the long end of the U.S. curve. And so we we did that, and we legged into that trade in size um, in January and uh, late last year in January, and then have been kind of trading in and out of that. We still hold that position, although not. The, the max position that we had that we had at, at one point in the not so uh, re- uh, not so distant um, past uh, it's a trade that um, I we continue to risk risk manage I would say and we, we we do like I think directionally although again it's the markets come our way and a lot's in the price so you know as a number of people will say Constantine likes to use this line a lot and I think it's really it's a great line it's a, you know if you had nothing on well you know what would you what would you do now and I think I think that's always a great way to kind of stand back and reset and say, yeah, what 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 would you do? Forget what you've got on, but if you had nothing, right. what would you do? And I think that's a really a really a powerful way to look at markets and trading. And so we look at that. We look at a lot of our trades through that lens. And um, anyway, so we've 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 cut down the position, although we still like it. Uh, again, and booked a lot of profits, which is which is great for the the team and our, our investors. Um, and, and that's one that I think is is really really interesting. At some point, <laughs> at some point, I think this year um, the Stephener trade will be a phenomenal trade, um, but it's early. And you know, I'm glad we didn't do that. And we're, you know, I think we're you know, a little bit lucky, a little bit smart to have not done that. Obviously, like I was saying earlier, those twos tens have inverted to minus. I think they've moved up a little bit now, but peaked minus 107, minus 108 in the U.S. Right. You know, we were looking at this at minus 70, minus 75. So that would have been right. probably not not great. So that you know, so that's good. So you know, the FX one, the Japan one, the uh, long end of the U.S. is obviously good. And then you know, just quick. On the European side, which I guess we didn't really talk about too much this round, but we can always catch up at another time. Um, you know, we've shed a little bit of our European uh, uh, short trades, uh, only because, not surprisingly, a lot of the market has, the market has come our way, and uh, a lot of it is a lot of it is now in the price. So we've shed a little bit on there, and we've also rotated a little bit out of the the German curve into the the French curve because we think it offers uh, maybe a little bit of a little better value on on the margin. Um, so we've kind of paired that back again too, but again, that's been a, a decent, 
a decent view for us. So those are kind of the big three or four kind of macro trades um, that we we have on. There are others, obviously, but those are those are the ones that are really, I think, uh, adding alpha. And uh, you know, we're 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 I would say managing exceptionally actively in the portfolio, particularly on this kind of two hands on the wheel. Uh, right. You know, a big event risk to big event risk market, which is very much, I think, the uh, the mo here for the next little bit. Well, Dustin, uh, a little longer than normal, but I think well worth it. Uh, a lot of complexity uh, within uh, fixed income right now, and I appreciate you spending the time to uh, give your view on where markets are. And I look forward to having you back uh, after that Fed meeting uh, to make sure that we have a renewed perspective at that point. So, thanks again, Dustin. For sure, that sounds great. Look forward to it. content of this podcast, including facts, views, opinions, and recommendations, is not to be used or construed as investment advice and is not an offer or an invitation to buy or sell any security. The content of this podcast should not be relied upon for any purposes and McKenzie Financial Corporation is not responsible for any reliance upon it. This podcast includes forward-looking information that reflects our current expectations or forecasts of future events. Forward-looking information is subject to risks, uncertainties, and assumptions that could cause actual results to differ materially from those expressed herein. Our views are subject to change based on market conditions. Commissions, trailing commissions, management fees, and expenses may be associated with mutual fund investments. Please read the fund facts and prospectus before investing. The indicated rates of returns are historical annual compounded total returns, including changes to unit values and reinvestment of all dividends or distributions and does not take into account sales, redemptions, distribution, or optional charges or income taxes payable by any security holder that would have reduced returns. 